it is an equal and opposite reaction. Anyone recognise that statement? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Vague nods around the room. Anyone recognise it? Young man over there. Oh, <laughs> you were just saying yes, you recognise it. Source? That's right. Well, pretty close. Newton's third law of motion. Uh, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In other words, if you push against something, that something will push back against you. So at the very moment, my weight is pushing down on the floor with a little bit more force than I'd like it to be, but the, but the floor is pushing back up on me. Um, the picture on front of the bulletin is what's called uh, Newton's Cradle. You've probably all seen them where you flick the ball and uh, the action of one ball hitting it will knock the, uh, the ball off the other side. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's why if you blow up a balloon and let it go, that's Newton's third law of motion. The action is the air blowing out one way. The reaction is the balloon moving through the other way. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking that you're trapped in a science class. I'm sorry about that. But I'm talking to you about this because that pretty much describes what's going on in the section of Acts that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, because tonight, what we find is that the action of the gospel going out into the world, that action prompts a very strong reaction from the world. Now, hopefully you remember that, the act, that Acts is all about the gospel, the news of Jesus. It's all about the gospel going out into the world. Uh, the risen Christ expressly told his disciples that he wanted them to witness to, about him to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And it's been happening. Last week, even Gentiles, uh, non-Jews like us, became Christians. But for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And this week, as the gospel pushes out into the world, tonight the world is very much going to push back. Let's see how it happens through chapters 12 to 15, which is the big section that we're looking at tonight. Uh, it's quite a big section, and we want, I want to think of it through under the headings of action and reaction. Firstly, the action. And the action of this section basically revolves around a very radical decision made by a church up in Antioch. So you open your Bibles to Acts 13, please. Acts 13. We're going to hop around the Bible a little bit tonight rather than read one big section. I hope that won't be too confusing and it'll be worth your while to go home and, and actually just read chapters 12, 13, 14 and 15. It won't take you that long at all. And hopefully the framework that we get tonight will be helpful for just reading through those chapters. Acts chapter 13. Um, look, you, you don't want to listen to my voice tonight. Would someone brave enough be, uh, be willing to read verses 1 to 4 of chapter 13 in a nice loud voice? There's a couple of names in there. I'll be up front. 1 to 4. Who'd like to have a go?
Okay, thanks very much, Paul. Now, look, it's really easy to read those verses and not get how radical what is happening in them is. Uh, For they describe the news of Jesus starting to spread around the world in a way that it's never spread before. See, Antioch is the little red dot on the map. It's a town up in Syria, and it's about the same distance from Jerusalem that Dubbo is from Sydney. And you see, Antioch is a church or has a church that's really on the boil. Unlike Jerusalem, the Christians in Antioch are mainly Gentiles. And because of that, they're not caught up in Jewish ways of doing stuff. And so Antioch is very willing to try new things. Antioch is very willing to try fresh ideas. Antioch is willing to go places no one else has ever gone before. They are the cutting edge of the early church. Evidenced by the fact that this church, for the first time ever, decides to deliberately export the gospel overseas. Now, that's not to say that the gospel hasn't been travelling around to some extent. It has. Uh, We've seen that over the past few weeks. Uh, But it's mainly been restricted so far to the Palestinian mainland. And really, it's only been persecution that's that's tended to get the the, uh, Jerusalem church uh, to spread it. As yet, no one has caught the vision of actually travelling overseas for the express purpose of telling people about Jesus. That's about to change. For unlike the conservative, traditional Jerusalem church, the church at Antioch, they are really innovative, creative, cutting edge, and they want to spread the news of Jesus in a far more proactive way They want to export it overseas. And so with God's clear initiative and with this innovative contemporary church behind them, Paul and Barnabas set out for what is often called Paul's first missionary journey. There's three altogether that he takes. We're going to look at the next two uh, next week. Tonight, it's just the first journey. And to start with, they head to Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is an island about an eighth of the size of Tasmania. And in the days of Acts, it really was a trade centre in the Mediterranean. Uh, You basically went through Cyprus to get anywhere. Mind you, that's probably not why Paul and Barnabas go there first. Uh, Cyprus was Barnabas' hometown, homeland. That's where he was born. That's where he grew up. Uh, We're told that in earlier chapters of Acts. And so they probably went there because Barnabas just wants to tell his own family about Jesus first, where he's from. So they land at uh, Salamis, which is the commercial centre of the island, and they start telling people about Jesus all the way across to Paphos, which was the capital city. From there, they head over to Perga in Asia Minor. So we're now in um, modern-day Turkey. Something happens here that we're not quite sure about. Uh, John, who's one of, the, one of the group, heads back to Jerusalem. There's a bit of a, something goes wrong here because Paul, later on, will refuse to take John on his next missionary trip. Something's not quite right, whether John just gets homesick, uh, whether he gets a little bit antsy that Paul is starting to have precedence over Barnabas because Barnabas was his cousin, whether he's just nervous because the next part of the trip is going to get pretty hazardous. Uh, We don't know, but Paul obviously figures that he's a bit unreliable and he doesn't take him on the next one. Whatever the case, Paul and Barnabas, they keep going. And from Perga, they set off for a 133-kilometre trip over dangerous mountain paths and along very lonely roads until they finally reach 
another town called Antioch, but this is called Pisidian Antioch to show that it's in Pisidian. Uh, we are now in a region known as Galatia. This is where the letter to the Galatians was written, up in this area. It's not mentioned in Acts, but from the letter to the Galatians, we know that Paul arrived here in this region sick and exhausted, possibly suffering from malaria because of the rugged mountain crossing that he would have had to endure from Perga. It gets worse for him, though, at Pisidian Antioch because the Jews get angry that he's talking about Jesus and they run him out of town. They head down to Iconium. A nice new Roman highway has just been built, so at least the trip's a bit easier for them there. But again, they get run out of, run out of town by the Jews, so they travel on another little 25 k's to Lystra. The Jews are nothing if not persistent, and so the Jews from Antioch, Pisidia and Iconia, they follow them all the way down um, to, to Lystra. They actually drag Paul out of town and beat him to a pulp, leave him for dead. Paul is a great one for Jesus, sir. And if you turn to chapter 14, just turn the page to chapter 14. In verse 20 we read, here he is, he's lying by the side of the road, beaten to a pulp. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city. And then the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a a large number of disciples. And that's pretty much Paul's first missionary trip. What happens next is that they head back through all the towns, all the way back, strengthening the churches, perhaps showing them that they're actually still alive because the news of his beating would have spread through the region. And finally they get home to Antioch again. Two years it took them. They've been away for two years. They've travelled something like 2,000 kilometres Uh, not in a car, on foot, Uh, and they're home. Missionaries returned to Antioch on extended furlough. Thus ends the first missionary trip. Now, friends, that is the big action in uh, in these section of Acts from 12 to 15. In one sense, the big action is that the gospel is going out in ways it's never gone before. But for every action, there is an opposite reaction. And what you find is that in this section of Acts, as the gospel pushes out into the world, the world very much starts to push back. Let me mention just three ways that Acts tells us the way the world pushes back that are sort of wrapped around all these events. Skip back to chapter 12. Check out the opening three verses. Chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now, this is not the same Herod who crucified Jesus. Uh, This one is that Herod's nephew. Would have made life easier if they'd been more creative and had different names, Uh, They didn't, but it's a different Herod. And the thing to grasp is that this one in Acts is actually even worse than the one who uh, oversaw the execution of Jesus. He is even more powerful than that previous one because this one was very close buddies with the Roman emperor himself. In other words, uh, behind this Herod lies the full force of the Roman Empire. When this guy said jump, everyone asked how high. 
And as the gospel starts to push out, Herod decides to push back. It's not just Herod. The Jews are pushing back as well. Uh, we've already seen that through the, the, through the missionary trip. The poor guy, Paul, he gets beaten up pretty well in every single town he goes into. Go home and read it. The guy gets beaten from pillar to post. Cyprus, Presidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, in all of them, he cops a hard time. And as the gospel pushes out, the world pushes back. But even more than that, along with Herod and the Jews pushing against, against the gospel, in chapter 15, there is yet another threat that rears its ugly head. And perhaps this is the most serious one of all. Chapter 15, have a look at verse 1. Because this one is an inter- internal threat. All the other threats are external from Herod, the Jews. This one is internal within the very early church herself. Chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Now, point of explanation. Circumcision was the physical symbol that you were a Jew. It was the Old Testament sign that you were one of God's people. And here in the New Testament, There are some people who are saying that you can't be a proper Christian unless you also keep the Old Testament rules that Israel had to keep in the Old Testament. Now, we need to pause and appreciate this because for you and I, uh, it can seem a bit silly. Uh, None of us are Jews. The thought of us having to be Jewish sounds all a bit strange. But back then, it wasn't. This is a huge issue in the early church. Because early Christianity was very, very Jewish. Jesus, he's a Jewish Messiah. All the first Christians were Jews. All the apostles are Jews. The first churches were modelled on the way Jewish synagogues operated. There are thousands upon thousands of years of Jewish heritage and tradition sort of built into the early church. And for a long time now in the book of Acts, there's this smouldering disagreement about whether or not non-Jews could even be Christians in the first place. And here in chapter 15, that smouldering disagreement just bursts into flame. Because you, got, you see what's happening? You've got this renegade Gentile church up in Antioch. And they're actually doing the unthinkable and sending missionaries out. Can you believe that? Missionaries out to non-Jewish countries. And Paul and Barnabas, they've just spent two years telling non-Jews about Jesus. And now the number of non-Jewish Christians, that almost rivals the number of Jewish Christians. Man, this is getting out of hand. Something's got to be done about this. So some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, unless you become a Jew, you can't be saved. This is a crisis point in the early church. This has the potential to blow the early church out of the water. And the point, all the point I want to make tonight is get the big picture of all of this that's happening. The gospel is pushing out into the world in radical ways now and the world is pushing back big time. Herod's trying to kill, kill, Herod has killed James and he's thrown Peter into prison. Jews are running Paul out of every town he goes into. Judaizers are actually now trying to undermine the message of the gospel and to change the message, the news about Jesus putting it under threat. As the gospel goes out, 
the world pushes back. And look, I reckon that's pretty helpful to be reminded of just in our life because nothing's changed. The Bible consistently says that that is the nature of the world, to push back against Jesus. Do not be surprised if you ever get a hard time just for being a Christian, if, if you ever get a funny look or if you ever uh, seem to be made out to be the odd one in the family or, or you're thought of as strange for being a Christian. That is the nature of the world. It will push back against you if you're a follower of Jesus. Chris Hayes was telling me, many of you know Chris from early church, she was telling me the other day that her daughter Joanna uh, got a bit of a scare the other day at Sydney Uni. Joanna was handing out uh, leaflets inviting people on campus to the Christian group and a car pulled out, pulled up, three big security guys jumped out and told her in no uncertain terms to move on because someone in the building that she was standing in front of had complained that a Christian was harassing people and it really shook her up. I bet... No one would have been complaining if she was handing out leaflets to happy hour at the uni bar. The Bible consistently tells us that it is the very nature of the world to push back against Jesus. So please brace yourself for that. Don't think you're weird if it happens. It has been happening ever since the gospel started to go out. And it's, it's a good reality check to just realise that that may well happen. But look, this big section of Acts, it's actually more about wanting to encourage us. That even though the world may push back, the news about Jesus cannot, cannot be stopped. Please, go. we've just been dipping down into this. Go home and read it for yourself in this framework uh, that we've been looking at. You will discover that, yes, Herod tries to persecute Christians and he unceremoniously dies at the height of his power. Yes, the Jews try and run Paul out of town, but every town he, he, he gets thrown out of, he leaves behind a church full of people. Yes, people try and undermine the message of the gospel, but at the Council of Jerusalem, the early church reaffirmed that as Gentiles, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to keep the Old Testament law, we don't have to be Jews anymore to be saved, it's simply by having faith in Jesus. And time and time and time again, throughout this section of Acts, despite all the ways that the world is pushing back, time and time again, you read verses like these. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Friends, it's a frustrating night tonight because we've covered lots of, chap- uh, lots of sections and not really read one big section. But I wanted to do it to try and just give you the sense of the big picture. The action of the gospel going out in radical ways now, but the reaction of the world pushing back as powerful kings have been trying to exterminate Christians as Jews have been trying to silence Paul as even within the church herself the gospel is being threatened by people who are trying to make it into something that it's not and here is the thing through it all the gospel 
will not be stopped. Or more appropriately, the arisen Christ will not be stopped. He continually advances. And that's exhilarating. That's exciting. When you're one of his. It's a bit like the other day I was heard, heard some surfers talking about uh, Waimea Bay in Hawaii. Waimea Bay, they reckon, has the biggest rideable waves in the world. 35-foot walls of water. They, these are unstoppable waves of enormous power, walls of water. And yet in this documentary that I was watching, these surfers were absolutely ecstatic about the thrill of riding them. There's no way they could control them, but they were just thrilled at the thought of being along for the ride on something that big. That was a rush. Friends, that's us as Christians. We are riding a huge wave, and it's a rush. The privilege of of riding the wave of the ongoing work of the risen Christ, for it is a wave that will not be stopped in every country. And so I hope by now you've seen that my opening illustration, you know that Newton's third law thing, I hope you can see now that it was actually quite a wrong law to use to describe the spread of the gospel because the third law of motion is that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. See why that's such a poor example? Because there might be an opposite reaction to the gospel but there's no way it's an equal one nothing can hold back the risen christ and acts in this big section and there's a lot of things happening but in all of it acts actually wants to encourage us with the world with the with the news that sometimes as a christian you will feel that the world is going to push back against you it's okay jesus has overcome the world The risen Christ will not be stopped. Let me pray. Father, it has been a joy week after week to hear of brothers and sisters in countries that we're not really familiar with and we don't really know too much about the life situation that they're in, but to know that they're there and that as every moment goes by, more and more brothers and sisters are becoming Christians that you're at work in the hearts and minds of people all over the world, saving them and bringing them into heaven. And thank you for doing that for us. Thank you for the joy of being involved in that process. Uh, Thank you for the wonderful privilege we've got of simply passing on the message of Jesus and of you doing your work in extending your kingdom. Father, thank you uh, for the encouragement tonight that even when the world uh, pushes back against us a bit for following you, Uh, Thank you for the reminder that you have overcome the world, that nothing holds back the hand of the risen Christ. For these things we rejoice. Amen. Well, time for a bit of supper, but before that, one last song, Not by Might, Nor by Power.